0: This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Well, alright. Well, let me put my guitar picks away and get ready to go. Uh, well, as mom said, uh, Pastor Dave and my dad are not able to be here tonight, so you get the, uh, the most handsome and bearded of all of the samples. At least the most bearded, I can at least say that. uh, uh, Well, yeah, that's enough of that. And uh, you know what? Normally when I preach, I like to pick on my wife. But seeing that she did just push out a 10-pound baby, I will uh, will lay off of my wife for tonight. So uh, maybe by the end of the night I'll have another target. But anyways, anyways. Well, yeah, my, my mom fights back, though, so we'll leave her alone. But uh, anyways, anyways, uh, tonight, um, you know, it was a little bit last minute uh, when I found out I was going to have to teach. Uh, so I was trying to figure out what what in the world should I teach on tonight? And I, I happened to be uh, reading through Titus uh, chapter two. And I don't think they'll put it on the screen, but uh, if you guys want, you can flip over to Titus chapter two real quick. And uh, this kind of gave me a little hint of what maybe I should teach on tonight. And we'll just go through this real quick. Um, Titus chapter two. And uh, starting in verse two, I'm in the NIV here. And it says, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Uh, Verse three, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and pure. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled and so as I was reading this scripture, it kind of hit me. I was, uh, I was doing a kind of running through my mind all of the people we have in the congregation, and I came to the realization that our congregation is comprised mostly of older men, older women, younger women, and young men. And so, and so from this scripture, it tells us what we should teach all of these people. And the one thing that it that the, all of these four groups have in common is it says that we should teach them to be self-controlled. And so tonight, my message title is get a hold of yourself. And, uh, you know, sometimes, maybe some of you might need a good slap on the face. I don't know. That's uh that's Julie's department. So, <laughs> so um, before we get started, let me pray. Let me pray. So let's all bow our heads and we'll get get going. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you, Lord God, and we're we're so grateful that we get to gather in Your name tonight, Lord God, and that we get to learn a little bit more about being self-controlled for living for You, loving You, and serving You, Lord God. I just ask that you would have your way in this service, Lord God. Give me the correct words to speak, Lord God, so I'm not just uh, speaking of myself, but rather I'm speaking what you would have me to speak, just to be honored and glorified in all we do tonight. In Jesus name, amen. So the concept of self-control and self-discipline is something that especially in our culture and in this day and age is just something we can't even fathom, you know, the the possibility or the concept of of restraining ourselves controlling ourselves having a little bit of self discipline and something that really shocked me uh i wanted to just see uh something that came to mind uh we always hear about this obesity epidemic and people talk you know nobody can control themselves and stuff so i i wanted to see what this obesity epidemic was all about and so i looked it up in 1990 the most obese state in the entire country was Mississippi. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> I, I don't know. Why, I don't know why we're amen in that, but <laughs> uh, Mississippi and 15% of the population in uh, of Mississippi in 1990 was considered uh, clinically obese. Uh, you know, gross, uh, drastically overweight that was 15%. So then I fast-forwarded the statistics I had were from actually from they're a couple of years old but it was from 2013. And to see how far we had moved in this 23 year period in uh, in 2013 the least obese state was Colorado and their population was 21% obese. So in that 23 year period our best state went to being worse off than our previous worst state. And uh, just so we don't leave Mississippi hanging in that same study, they were 35 percent, 35.1 percent of their population was considered obese. So that's like over a third of their population. So that's uh, I don't really know what that has to do with anything other than just it's kind of like a statistical measure of how our culture just has no self-control anymore. And so as Christians we're living in this secular society this culture all around us but we're called to be separate and to demonstrate the Christian discipline of self-control. So my first point I want to talk about tonight is that self-control is a fruit of the spirit. Let's flip over to Galatians 5 and uh As I was uh, getting this message ready, I I looked over a lot of my scripture references and realized that a lot of them are the exact same ones that my brother used this morning. So uh, I did not steal his message. These are just good scriptures. (laughs) Hopefully I'll be uh, more more positive. So Galatians chapter five, he was reading uh, this morning, though, the fruits of the flesh. We're going to read the nice, warm, fuzzy fruits of the spirit. So Galatians five. Verse 22 and 23, it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. There is no law against these things. So when we truly allow the Holy Spirit into our lives one of the main byproducts or one of the fruits that we'll have is self-control. Every Christian should have this self-control in their life. And, uh, you know, fruit grows on on trees, on branches. And something I was thinking about. Uh, John 15 says that Jesus is the, the trunk or the, or the tree and we're the branches And when you look on a tree, which part of it grows the fruit? Does the trunk grow the fruit or does the branches? The branches, as far as I can tell, are what grows the fruit. And so Jesus is the trunk. He's not the one that's supposed to be producing these these fruits of the love, joy, peace, self-control. That's us. We're the ones that should be having love, joy, peace, patience, kindness and this self-control in our lives. We're the ones that should do that. The only branches that actually that don't produce any fruit. Though are, those are the branches that get somehow cut off from from the trunk, from the tree. And so if you find that you're not bearing the fruit of self-control or really any of these fruits of the spirit in your life. You need to check and see if maybe you're not connected to the trunk. The trunk in this case, of course, is Jesus And one way I was thinking that we can check this is I know some people, they only come to church on Easter and Christmas, whether they need it or not. (laughs) And if that's you and you're having trouble with self-control, I've got a pretty good guess where the first area you might want to check is. You might want to check that out. Uh, In fact, Julie and Pastor Dave and Katie and I, we're, we're having a study we're not we haven't been in the ministry uh, as long as my mom and dad, but I've grown up in the ministry my whole life. And so we've we've helped a lot of people over the years with lots of different struggles with, you know, different drugs, alcohol, even. I don't know, cigarettes, sexual sin, all this stuff. And we've noticed that all these people, some of them. They'll uh, they'll be able to overcome it. And then years later, they're still free. But then there's others that you'll see that they keep falling for it over and over and over again. And and they're falling for the same sins over and over. And so we were trying to think, you know, we're not the wisest people. We're not theologians. But we were trying to think, well, what's the difference between these people that we've helped that got over got over their issues and these ones who keep falling over? They These ones over here, they seem like they're doing good. They uh, They'll be doing good for a while. And then the next thing you know, they've fallen off the bandwagon, so to speak. And so we were trying to think. And the one I don't know if it's the total answer, but the one thing that these people over here that succeeded had in common was they all made church and God a priority. They're the ones that, you know, what kind of like uh, Pastor Dave was talking this morning. Uh, There's nothing that is going to get between them and church church. uh, You know what? I don't care uh, if I have accidentally stayed up till 1 a.m. I'm getting up and going to church the next day. I don't care if I had family show up and knock on my door five minutes before I was going to leave the church. You can come with me or you can stay home and wait. And I'll I'll be there, you know, after church. But church is a priority. There's people that have that mentality. And those are the ones that have tended to succeed. But the ones that have fallen off are the ones that are pretty much the exact opposite. Rather than making every excuse to go to church, they look for any excuse not to go to church, you know. Yeah, sorry, my, my dog stubbed his toe last night, so I, I probably can't come to church today, but, uh, but you know what, I'll, I'll stay at home and I'll be with you in spirit. <laughs> uh, or, or, uh, this is one I hear a lot, is, uh, I'll stay at home and, and listen to the podcast. But, th- Staying home, and it's good if you can't, you know, stuff does come up. You, you can't be here 100% of the time, and the podcast is good. But if your primary source of church is sitting on the couch in your underwear, listening to the podcast, I don't think that cuts it. In fact, uh, I was talking to to one person one time, and she has told me that she, she likes to stay at home and, and just listen to the podcast a lot of times and can't always make it. And so I was thinking of the verse that we read this morning, uh, uh, First Peter 5, uh, 8, where it says the devil comes about acting like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I said, if you ever watch the, the documentaries on the Discovery Channel or whatever, if there's a lion looking for someone to devour, does he come out right here to the big group of deer or gazelle that are all together? Or does he look for the one, the, the one gazelle that's off by itself in the corner listening to the podcast? <laughs> And uh pardon me. I need some more. So there's there's you got to be in church if you want to really have this victory in your life, this long-term lifestyle of victory. Uh Hebrews 10:25 says that we need to not neglect meeting together as some people do. Obviously even back in Hebrews, you know, there Jesus had just uh been resurrected a couple of years earlier, and already people are looking for excuses to to miss church because because uh, the writer of Hebrews had to say let's not hey guys let's not neglect meeting together, encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So it's not just about all of these spiritual benefits. The uh, Harvard University, the the big uh, university, did a study and found that there are actually physical benefits. Coming to church and uh, I am talking about self-control, but give me a minute. We're talking. We'll get we'll come back around. Um, Harvard University did a big, long 20 year study and they found that people who attend church were one third less likely to die than a, than a similar group of people who were the same age, health race, etc. They tried to rule out all of the variables. And these people that were living one third longer, the only thing that they had in common was that they went to church. But I I wanted to, to see what this study was all about. And I looked into the study and this study was not about the people who say they go to church. And, you know, like we said earlier, they they come on Christmas and Easter, whether they need it or not. It said These are the people who come to two or more services a week. People that come to two or more church services a week are statistically living one third longer than people who stay at home. And and maybe they exercise, they eat good, they don't smoke, they don't drink, they do everything else right. If that's if that if you take that same person and put them in church, they will still live a third longer because they control for all of these variables. Yeah, so that was really cool. So I guess what that all ha- has to do with is if you're not having the self-control in your life, you need to get in church more. Connect to one of our lift groups here or, or, or uh, you know, a small group where you're reading the Bible together. Take a few minutes every day to read your own Bible. You know, there's a concept. <laughs> I know a lot of people... uh think that the, the Bible is just a good luck charm if you keep it sitting on your table at home it, it wards off demons and I heard one preacher day say that if that's what you think the devil's probably at home dancing on top of your Bible <laughs> because the Bible does you no good it's not a good luck charm if you don't read it in fact the Bible the, the, uh, the devil reads the Bible we know this because he tries to use, he tried to use it to, to trick Jesus and of course it didn't work he't going to trick Jesus. But your Bible does you no good if you don't read it. So don't think that if you just set it on the counter that you're protected from demons and omens and stuff. But read your Bible every day, even if you only have five minutes in the morning Um, with I have two babies now. So I uh, sometimes I can't wake up first thing in the morning, but I can still take a five minute break at work and read it, you know, for five minutes in the afternoon. And that's better than nothing. There's no excuse not to read it. In fact, uh, on the way out out of the sanctuary, pick up. They've got. We all like to read the Bible together as a congregation, so we're kind of studying together. They got little scripture list on the back uh, back counter. Just grab one, and then you can read along with the rest of us, and we're all kind of learning the same thing. So you need to have self control, the fruit of the Spirit in your life. The second thing is, without self control, we're left defenseless. You have no defense if you have, if you don't have self-control. If you say you have no self-control, then how could you possibly say no to the sinful desires that all of us have? We're lying if we say we don't have them. Let's flip over to Proverbs 25, 27, and 28. This is, uh, this is one of my life verses that I've memorized this one and I'm still working on it more and more. But this is one we all need to to put into our hearts. Thank you. Proverbs 25, 27 and 28. And this first part is the part that I really struggle with. (laughs) It says, it is not good to eat too much honey. And the part I, I usually don't even read the, the too much honey part, I just stop at. It. It's not good to eat too much, because if anybody knows me, I, I'm a man that loves to eat. And uh, we were just talking about obesity earlier, so I'm really, really tonight I'm preaching to myself more than anything. It's not good to eat too much honey. And it's not good to seek honors for yourself. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. In the Living Bible, it says, a man without self-control is as defenseless as a city with broken down walls. And this is a, a very common theme in our modern society, kind of like we were talking earlier, and even, unfortunately, in a lot of churches, people like to think nowadays that that human beings are uncontrollable like animals and that you must 100 percent of the time do what feels good. Or you might even literally explode if you restrain yourself for even two minutes. You have to do what you feel. You have to be led by what you feel. And uh, let's actually flip over a second, Timothy. Paul, uh, the apostle, kind of predicted that this would happen. So so before we get too surprised. He predicted that this is what was going to happen. Second, Timothy, chapter three. And uh, as we read the scripture, tell me if this doesn't sound like uh, like our modern day society. In verse one. Or sorry, verse, uh, verse one, it says, but Mark, this there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, Conceited lovers of pleasure rather than loving lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. That's a that's a very, very harsh scripture, but. All of those things would uh, would describe a good chunk of the people in our modern society, in our culture, people have no self control. All they think about is money. They're they're boastful, proud. They disobey their parents, unforgiving, slanderous. They don't care. They don't love what's good. I think there's another verse that says that they will say what's good is evil and what evil is good, which is just completely backwards. And then that one, it says they have a form of godliness, but deny its power. I was trying to figure out, you know, what that scripture meant one time and uh, and then the Lord kind of brought it to me. I, I have a, a friend who lives in another state who is a minister and he had just got back from actually a minister's conference. And he was he was real excited because there was lots of good stuff that went on at this minister's conference. But then he got to this one part of the story uh, while they were at the conference. There uh, there was some famous actor who was proclaiming to be a Christian. And so uh, he got up to speak at this minister's conference and he's saying that he's a Christian. But while he's up there speaking in front of a room full of ministers, nonetheless, he keeps accidentally letting curse words slip out. And that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I mean, even if you, you know, you weren't born in church, you think you'd at least have enough sense to, to not curse in front of a room full of ministers But he's talking about how uh, how, you know, the Lord has really turned his life around and stuff. And so I asked my friend, I said. I said, Josh, what what would you say the power of God, the true power of God does in someone's life? And we both talked about it for a minute and we agreed that the power of God in someone's life would change them from who they who they used to be. If you've got the true power of God in in your life, I said, well. If someone had a form of the power of God, but denied the power, it's not that big of a stretch to see that maybe you wouldn't see a change in their life. Because you're pretending that you have the power of God, that you have God in your life, but you're not really tapping into that power. And so I said, I don't mean to judge this guy, but if he has no more sense than to be able to not curse in front of a room full of ministers, I'm not going to judge him, but I'm not really seeing seeing the fruit of the spirit in his life there. And the Bible does actually say before we uh, get to people get confused, the Bible does say that you should judge a tree by its fruit. So if someone's not bearing the fruit of love, joy, peace, self-control, then uh, then it does say we actually are supposed to judge them. And I would say in this case, he was saying he was a Christian, but he was not bearing the fruit of a Christian, so. That's between him and God. Anyways, like we said, most people nowadays uh in our culture, but even like we were just talking in some churches, they try to justify the sin in their lives. Um, one thing that comes to, to my mind is uh, the area of like sexual sin. They'll say things like, you know, a man can't possibly say no to his desires, so. They need to maybe take care of things themselves rather than, than going out and, and finding women everywhere or whatever, or you know whatever they're going to do, the thought of just taking it to the time and the discipline to control themselves never crosses their mind. But Matthew 16:24, Jesus said to his disciples, "Whoever wants to be my disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So in this area, we were just talking about this sexual sin. The goal is not that you're going to deny yourself for the rest of your life. The Bible actually does have an answer for that. It has a very simple solution in First Corinthians, chapter seven and verse two. In fact, you can flip there if you want. That will give me a moment to get some water. First Corinthians seven, two. And it says. Because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. In the King James, it says, uh, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Uh, Fornication is just uh, the King James Bible was written like 600 years ago. Fornication is just a word that means having sex with someone that you're not married to. But the good thing about this is that fornication is the simplest sin to fix. Because I was thinking about it. Almost every other sin in the Bible requires you to stop doing something. Uh, Ephesians 428 says, let him who stole steal no longer. So if you're one who just really likes to steal, there's no way that you can make stealing biblically correct. You have to stop stealing. There's just no way around it. Uh, you know, the the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. If you just love killing people, you can't justify that by the Bible. And but but this one topic Sex with fornication. All you have to do is marry the person and bam, it's instantly no longer a sin. You didn't even have to stop doing anything. You can continue on as you were. All you did was got married. It's it's the one sin where you don't even have to stop doing anything. And so I, I know there's there's kids here. I'll try not to talk here too long, But. If you love someone enough to to be over here with them, then I'd say you probably love them enough to marry them and make it right. Then you can do whatever all you want. And then people, they always have excuses. Well, I'm too young. Uh, What about my career? We can't afford to get married. But Matthew 633 says that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, righteousness means his 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 right way of living. If we seek that First. Then all of these things will be added unto you. So if you really are the one that takes the time to do it right, maybe you're a little bit younger, you can't quite afford it, you're you know, 18, 19, whatever, God's gonna not gonna let you suffer for doing things the right way. The Bible says you can't serve God in money. So if you're going after your your career and your and your degree or whatever, Nothing wrong with going after your career or your college degree or whatever. But if you're doing that to the detriment of living up to God's standards, then you're not doing it right. You can't serve God and money. God's going to take care of you if you do it his way. Get married. If you need help with your money, come to Financial Peace University. Julie and I love teaching people how to to handle their money. And we didn't have a whole lot when we started off, but we learned In fact, uh, sometimes getting married when you're 18, 19 and learning how to uh, suffer through the ramen noodles and the the grilled cheese sandwiches and stuff helps you grow together as a couple. So that's rather than wait until you're 35 and all set in your ways. And then anyways, I don't know. I just like talking about this sometimes, but uh, God's a just and a fair God. He wouldn't have. Have told us to deny ourselves if he didn't give us the ability to say no. So self-control is a fruit of the spirit. Without self-control, we are defenseless. And then number three. A true Christian can say no to their desires. And this is where I like to say. I've got some good news and some bad news. The bad news is that God will never take away these sinful desires. Uh, We saw and uh, Pastor Dave was reading first uh, this morning, First Corinthians 10, 13, that it says everyone is tempted. Um, And don't think that you're the only one in the world that's not being tempted. These desires will always be there. Some of you, the, the struggles you had. When you were a teenager, nineteen twenty, will be the same struggles and desires you'll have your entire life. And that's that's not too much fun. The, uh, James 1 talks about temptation comes when we're led away by our own desires. So if you're praying, you know, Lord, take away these desires, you know, Lord, take away these cigarettes. I don't want to smoke anymore. Last time I checked, I, Jesus didn't smoke, so I don't think he has any need for your cigarettes He's not going to take those cigarettes from you. That's the bad news. Some of you, these desires that you have now will never go away. But the good news, the good news is that he gives us the ability to say no to these desires. Let's flip over to Titus 2, back to Titus 2, kind of where we were started off earlier. I just to and these these next two scriptures are two of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible, because it it shows the depth of God, of God's love and his grace. Let's look at verse 11, and I'm in the NIV a lot tonight, so follow along on screen if you need to. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. So a lot of people get confused about the grace of God and they think that, you know, I've got the grace of God, so it doesn't matter. You know, the Lord saved me. I've got his grace. I can do what I want now because, you know, of his precious grace. But this scripture here says that one part of the grace of God is that it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So if your version of grace doesn't include the word, no, then it's not biblical grace. In fact, the ability to say no is what separates us from unbelievers. the same grace that saves us, it says the same grace that gives us salvation. It gives us this special supernatural ability to say no, that non-Christians don't have. So maybe these people out there, they literally can't. Whatever their desires are, they have to do whatever they feel. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But as Christians, we don't have that same excuse. We've got salvation and the grace from God that teaches us to say no. Uh, Second, Timothy one seven says, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear and timidity, But he has given us power, love and self-discipline. One of the gifts God has given us is this self-discipline, this self-control, the ability to say no. We're not animals who are are, are governed by our desires and our wants. Uh, In fact, uh, the one I always think about this is my stupid cat, Ralph. I was just talking to my brother-in-law, Luke, about Ralph earlier. And there's uh, there's old Ralph laying on the bed there. And Ralph and there's Nelson beside him, but we won't get into Nelson. He's he's a nutty cat. But uh, Ralph, he's a big old fat cat and he is 100 percent governed by what he feels. He does not care. He can't think past two minutes ahead. If I give him a big old bowl of food, he will eat that whole bowl of food until he's Barfing his guts out five minutes later because he has no control. And that's how that's kind of gross, but that's how a lot of people think we are. They think that humans, if you feel something that we're just another animal like cats or whatever, if we feel something, we have to do it. And let me tell you, that's not true. <laughs> uh, Jude one, verse four um and we'll look at verse 10 in a second, but he talks about a lot of people have, have wormed their way into churches saying that God's grace allows us to live immoral lives. And that's not what God's grace does, like we just said. But verse 10, it says, but these people scoff at things they do not understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever they in their instincts tell them. And so they bring about their own destruction so these people who are saying that they can't control themselves, that they have no ability to say no. They're no better off than my stupid cat out there eating a big old bowl of food and then throwing up everywhere. But we're not like that. We have the grace of God, which teaches us to say no. And just to, to kind of. We're going to get ready to wrap up here, but let's return to Hebrews 10. To kind of give us a little bit more of a positive note here. Because that uh, that scripture there uh, in Jude was just talking about people who bring about their own destruction. But Hebrews 1039. It says. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. So those people he was just talking about, that's not us. We're not the ones who turn away to their own destruction It says, instead, we are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. So a true Christian is self-controlled. You know, despite what you may hear, you need to get a hold of yourself. Get a hold of yourself. The self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. If you don't have that self-control, you're left defenseless. And a true Christian can say no to their desires. So uh, if I I can get the worship team to come back up. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.